Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thank you, MSNBC. Yeah, you make our job a lot easier around here on Fridays. It's like a pipeline. If it's uh, not one of the hosts saying something unbelievably stupid, it'll be one of your guests who jumps into the competition for this. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. And this time it's a host, Joy Reid, talking about the Alabama Supreme Court's decision on in vitro fertilization. The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids? I mean, your party, Senator Tuberville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't, um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president and you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, this is some sort of crisis because we, we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids? Can you explain who's the we and what's the purpose? You're also a senator from the state of Alabama. God help the people there. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state. And the mandate of the planter class in Alabama was for black women to produce more kids because those kids were property. And they could work more kids and make more money on their plantations. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids because you think that those populations will include people who are maybe destitute and desperate enough if you kick out the immigrants like a lot of y'all want to do and you could make them do the work that the migrants are doing now? Because that kind of sounds slavery-ish. Is the state of Alabama the we? And is, is, is that the why? I mean, you're also a white guy. Are you saying the we is white folks need more kids? Is this like a great replacement thing where you're concerned that there's not enough white people in the population versus the growth of the Latino population, the black population, the Asian American population? And so the we is white people need to make white women have more kids. And that's the we and that's the why, because it's a little creepy, a little handmaid's tale, don't you think? Yeah, it took her a little while, but you can always count on joy to blame it on racism. And the white guy. And doing it this time makes her the AM 1250 The Answer Jerk of the Week. And when we come back, Governor Doug Burgum of North Dakota is going to be here. He's endorsed Donald Trump, and he's going to talk about the dueling border visits. And in our second half hour, the producer of a documentary on how men pretending to be women are infesting women's prisons. Stick around.
Well, it was uh, dueling border visits yesterday. Donald Trump went to Eagle Pass, Texas. Joe Biden went to Brownsville, Texas, and each blamed the other for the mess down there. Doug Burgum is the governor of North Dakota. He's a former candidate for president who has endorsed Donald Trump, and he joins us now. Governor, thanks for coming on. Hey, John, great to be with you. So uh, you're also the commander-in-chief of the uh, North Dakota National Guard, and uh, you sent troops to the southwest border. That's a long way from home. What went into that decision? Well, John, uh, every state's a border state now, and, of course, we, we are a border state right. on the northern border, 325 miles. But throughout my time as governor, we've been sending troops uh, to the southwestern border. So I was down there visiting our troops, and I can tell you this situation under Joe Biden, uh, having been a governor under President Trump and then uh, having to endure the Biden administration, I can tell you what a difference it is. But it's complete chaos down there, and it's uh, in uh, the Border Patrol is uh, certainly grateful when we send uh, North Dakota National Guard troops down there to help with, with uh, the interdiction of people coming across. Last year I was down there you know, visiting a mission of North Dakota Guardsmen that were flying Lakota helicopters from in on a mission that covered from the Gulf Coast to the Pacific. Uh, and, and, of course, these transnational criminal organizations, as they call them the cartels, they're pulling in billions of dollars from the human trafficking, the drug trafficking, and they've got technology, they've got intel, they've got personnel. Uh, they're better funded and better equipped than the folks on our side, and, and all this mess that we have at the border falls squarely in President Biden's lap. And just uh, to give people an idea of how this works, from whom will the North Dakota uh, National Guard be getting their orders while they're deployed down there? Who's in charge of them now? Well, there's two different. We've done both. There's some that are state where we've sent troops down to Texas, and then we work with the state support, like out of Operation Lone Star, working with Governor Abbott. Uh, or if we send troops that are down on a federal mission, uh, then they're working in coordination with the with the Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. So um, what message should the voters get from the two visits to the border yesterday, do you think? Well, Biden appears that his, his primary plan on, uh, on the border is blame Republicans. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that in his first 100 days in office, Biden had, did 94 executive orders that either harmed or reversed or loosened all of the, the controls that President Trump had put in. So he created this mess. And now he's trying to blame the Republicans that he needs more funding when you know it's like he started he started the fire. Uh, you know, he's the arsonist and then he wants more funding for the fire department. I mean, it's completely it's complete. Anybody that understands the, the thing. I mean, we're talking about not just a mass invasion, but we're also talking about mass casualties. There's been over three hundred thirty thousand Americans have died of, of the overdose since just since Biden took office. We're losing somebody every seven minutes in this country to a fentanyl poisoning. And that, that is, those are the casualties that are occurring. And, and from my time down there in previous years, I've been to the Biden, I've been to the border more times than Joe Biden has. And I can tell you when I was down there two weeks ago, it's worse than ever. And the one sector I was in, uh, just since October, there's over 20,000 Chinese have come across and they're not, they didn't walk through the Darien Gap. They bought a plane ticket to Ecuador. Then they bought a plane ticket to, you know, Nogales, Mexicali, Tijuana right across the border, and then they walk across. Some of them have roller bags and neck pillows. I mean, they, they left China two days ago. So the whole thing is just its just crazy right now that we would think at a time when we, why would we let people in from 140 countries, including people on the terrorist watch list, uh, he's, he's making the world, making America less safe, uh, and, 
in the whole world, these post interviews they have with the illegals coming in is they go, hey, everybody knows the border's open. If you make it across, uh, you're going to get a bus ticket and you're going to get uh, transported to someplace and then you're going to get food and shelter. I mean, it's a it's basically an advertisement that somehow our policies has come come to America and come through the southern border. We're talking to Doug Burgum. He's the governor of North Dakota. Um, and I, I wasn't going to ask you this uh, until a couple of minutes in here. But you brought it up. Uh, you, you, you mentioned you're the governor of a border state. And there's something that confuses me a little bit here, and maybe you can help me out. Uh, first of all, does you're on a border. I know that, I know that the ge- geography is a little different, but does North Dakota have an illegal immigrant problem? Well, we didn't uh, until Biden got in office. But now when they've, there's over 800 unfilled positions for law enforcement jobs with the Border Patrol. And, of course, just like... The Democrats in big blue cities have defunded the police, effectively the lack of leadership for the Border Patrol. If you're, I've talked to Border Patrol folks that multi-generational families that grew up near the border, they care about law enforcement, they care about the border, they've had the border secure in their lifetime. If they can take early retirement, they can, they've left. Because why would you stick around when you wanted to go into a career in law enforcement and do paperwork? They're doing paperwork, and I'm not talking computer work, paperwork, processing millions of illegals into our country that's what they're tasked to do that's what the leadership of the biden wants to do that's not law enforcement so they're leaving the career so they have these 800 unfilled positions today which are funded we don't need a bill from congress just get out there and recruit and support and respect law enforcement meanwhile what do they do they pull people off the northern border we have 18 ports of entry across our 325 mile border they had reduced hours during covid they've never come back we've got Farmers now that, you know, it's a small issue, but instead of driving, you know, 10 miles to a soybean plant in Manitoba, now i got to drive 120 miles because the border crossing's closed. And then last week we had, you know, 19 Romanians a couple weeks ago walking down a gravel road near the Canadian border had gotten stuck trying to drive across the border between the between two, two entry stations. So we are, the understaffing up here, if you go across from New Hampshire Vermont, talk to the other Republican governors in those states, everybody's seeing an increase on northern border illegal entries right now because uh, the, the intel is out there. The Border Patrol has left the northern border, and they're down trying to help on the southern border, and we got now the leaks are just getting worse on both sides of the country. Well, we're only three and a half hours away from the Canadian border here where I'm speaking to you from, um, and, and this is what I, I wanted to get to. This, is, this kind of confuses me, and you, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you just said about the Romanians. Um, I get the geography of what's happening in, you know, Texas, Arizona, uh, and um, where you're you're dealing with me- uh, Mexicans and people from Central and South America. But why aren't people from China? Uh, they, I, there was a, there was a report. Uh, I forget where where it was, which border crossing it was. It was uh, somebody did a report on it, but they mentioned that they had seen like hundreds of uh, Chinese nationals and zero Mexicans over a certain period of time. These people are coming from China. They don't have to come through New Mex- uh, through, through Mexico. Uh, I mean, they don't have to fly into Mexico. Why can't they fly into Canada? Why, aren't, why, why has that not happened yet? Or are we going to see the beginnings of that if they don't fix it, where they don't have to go to Central or South America. They can fly into Toronto and end up crossing your border. Well, I, I think the difference is uh, is visa enforcement. 
Uh, if they're flying right now, the Chinese are flying to a place like Ecuador, they don't need a visa. Mm-hmm. But then from there, they don't need a visa to fly from Ecuador to Mexico. So they can go, they can leave their country and get visa-free right to our border and then just walk across. If they're flying into Canada, uh, they're likely going to run into Canadian uh, immigration that's going to say, hey, what's your intention? Do you have a visa here? So there's at least some control on on the uh, on on, Cana- on the Canadian side, but you'll take a look at the at the increases that we have, and and if you look at uh, the numbers, I mean, you're going to have between 10 and 15 percent of the of the 10 million uh, apprehensions that they're reporting that they know of, not the unknown ones, because uh, that's an unknown number. The the we know how they know 1.2 million were spotted on camera and got away. We don't know what countries they're from, but with 1.2 million people, that's on the that's on the website, and I've I've seen it happen. I've watched in an op center people that are being you know people counting people on video that will never know where they're going. But in 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 now, but now on the northern border, all the numbers are increasing even more rapidly. It's smaller numbers, but they're increasing rapidly on northern border illegal crossings. So we're talking to Doug Burgum. He's the governor of North Dakota. So you got you got a country on uh, each border, one north, one south. Why can't the United States insist on Mexico doing the same things that Canada does? That if somebody flies into Mexico, they stay there. I think we had something like that going on there for a while, didn't we? We did, and uh, policies remain in Mexico that President Trump put in. in, in. They were working. And, of course, uh, Joe Biden reversed those. So this idea that you know he's going to try to blame the Republicans in an election year for a problem he created is, is uh, ludicrous, and some of the other secondary effects that he can take responsibility for is, you know, you got this corrupt country, Venezuela, six and a half million people have fled that country. And, uh, and I'm sure there are people there that are at risk and need asylum. Uh, they, you know, under President Trump, we said, hey, if you want asylum, get asylum in the first country across. You don't get to go through, you know, six countries and then seek asylum in the U.S. Seek asylum someplace else. You're out of Venezuela. You're safe now. But with Joe Biden lifting the oil sanctions on Venezuela, Venezuela is becoming a rich country again. Iran lifted the, the oil sanctions there. They're funding all the terrorism around the world. Uh, you know, Russia, I mean, all, all of his policies are destabilizing the world, and those are destabilizing populations. And those populations know that under Joe Biden, what a great place to go. go you know, let's head to the U.S. The door is open, and, and I'm going to also get, uh, you know, government handouts when I get there. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Biden has been blaming re- Republicans in Congress for all this, and uh, you are governor, so you know all about executive orders, uh, and you ran for president. So what what could uh, Joe Biden do today to drastically change the situation and maybe even fix it? Well, I mean, he you know, there's all kinds of things he did. I mean, he, you know, they support sanctuary cities, which is part of the calling card of, hey, if you, you know, get here and get to America, get to a sanctuary city, you're not going to get deported. You know, they were sending stimulus checks to illegal Im- immigrants. They were opposed, Democrats opposed legislation to, you know, Title 42. They voted against funding for the border wall. Did, you know, Biden did an executive order to stop construction on the border wall, which is just complete craziness. When I was at the border two weeks ago, what, you know, where were the North Dakota guards stationed? Well, they were stationed by a place where there was a half-mile gap in the wall. And next to that half-mile gap, was the material that would have been there that's been laying there since the day of the executive order where Biden said, we're not building the wall anymore. So think of the expense of finishing a wall where we already had the materials or the expense of deploying manpower to try to apprehend people when they walk through a, a gap in the wall. I mean, it makes no sense for security. It makes no sense economically. And now they say we don't have enough 
enough resource against it. And like I said, they can't even fill the positions that have already been authorized for him. And in that bill that he keeps saying that, that Republicans should support, it's got four or five times more positions for asylum processors than it does for actual border patrol. I mean, that, you know, he wanted to hire 82,000 IRS agents in this bill that he keeps saying is going to save the world has only got 1,000 more Border Patrol agents when they've got 800 positions already open. So just as an operating guy that came from the private sector, none of that makes sense to me either. If you want to, if you want to staff up to do something, then fund, fund law enforcement as opposed to fund the people that are going to, you know, process the paper to help people get into our country illegally. So uh, if Donald Trump is elected, how f- quickly would people see a major difference from, you know, January 20th and how long are we talking about before it starts to go back to where it was before Joe Biden showed up? Well, I think you'd see it immediately because uh, President Trump, I'm sure, on the first day in office would have uh, a rash of executive orders that would be reversing these uh, Biden policies, which are, uh, you know, endangering our country. I mean, this was about immigration in 2016. In 2024, it's about national security, and it's about public safety, because look at the rash of crime that's occurring in our country due to uh, the illegals that are in our country right now. And that's, uh, again, that's on, on Joe Biden's lap. So I think you'd see something immediately. You might even see it when he's elected in November. Then people might, there might be a surge because people say we better get through the door before, uh, before he takes office. So that, that'll be a tricky time. Uh, but I, I know that, you know, our Border Patrol, if you told those Border Patrol, you guys get to actually do law enforcement instead of pushing paper. They'd be the happiest law offers in, in the world if they got a chance to actually do the job that they signed up to do. How feasible is um, Donald Trump's plan for mass deportations, and how long uh, might that take to implement? Well, I, I think the, the challenge that, that President Trump will have on executing on something that would make a common sense, which is, you know, hey, if you're here illegally, you got to leave, is the fact that the Biden administration is not tracking where where these folks are. This is one thing. I was at, I was in D.C. last week for the annual National Governors Conference, and one of the the main topics from both Democrat and Republican governors was, hey, if you're busing people, federal government, if you're busing them to our states, could you at least give us the names of the people that you're dropping off in the Walmart parking lot uh, when they're when they're coming to our state? Could you give us the addresses that they told you that they're going to stay with their sponsor? And we know that the cartels give them fake addresses and say, you know, here's somebody in Wisconsin, uh, and and they uh, it goes on the forum. They're not even doing basic data checking to say, oh, this is the hundredth person that says they're going to this address in, in X Y Z state. So, but the governors have said, yeah, if you're sending them to our state using these federal dollars to transport them around the country, could you let us know? And the federal government has said no. So anybody that wants to start a mass deportation process not going to know where to start because where are they i mean the federal government is letting them in and once they're in there's literally no record of where they've gone so i think that's going to be a a nearly impossible task to actually execute because uh again back on the biden administration letting people in but with no way to track them i got about a minute left with uh the governor of uh, north dakota doug bergram i i last thing um i've just what can we expect from the Democrats here, now that this this issue is by far, it seems to be anyway, the most important issue to voters, according to the polls, 
I, I heard somewhere that they're beginning to call the uh, illegal immigrants newcomers. That's a word they're beginning to use. What kind? What are you expecting to see from them between now and November on this? Well, I, I think that you're starting to see the beginning of it right now, which is the whole strategy is uh, is blame Republicans, blame the Republican Congress uh, for not giving them the funding they need to, uh, you know, to solve this problem, which is just it's a complete red herring because Joe Biden has every he's got the ability to reverse the executive orders he put in place. He's got the ability to do all the things that President Trump did. He's just unwilling to do them. And he's, you know, turning it into a thing of, hey, give us more money, knowing the Republicans wouldn't give more money. So then he's got an easy thing to say, hey, it's their fault. But like I said, you can't you can't start fires for three years and then uh, and then not support firemen as a profession and then say, oh, but if you just gave us more money, we could solve this problem. They created the problem and they, there's ways they can fix it with executive orders without spending a dime of federal money. Hey, Governor, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm hoping we can talk to you again between now and November. Thank you. Would love to do that, John. And, again, thank you for being a courageous voice uh, and always uh, being willing to tackle the topics that others aren't. Wonderful to be on with you, and thank you for all you do to keep Americans informed. Thank you very much. That's Doug Burgum, Governor of North Dakota. I'll be right back. Well, it's hard to believe that we have to talk about this, much less have a need for a documentary about it, but uh, transgender insanity has reached the point that men who have been convicted of sexual assault are being sent to women's prisons. You've probably heard about this. Andrea Mew is a storytelling manager at the Independent Women's Forum, and she joins us now. Andrea, thanks for coming on. John, thank you so much for having me. So you have a series of documentaries, uh, and I guess the first one was released today. It's called Cruel and Unusual Punishment, The Male Takeover of Female Prisons. Before we get to the the story of the woman in this first episode, when when did you decide, not you necessarily, but Independent Women's Forum, decide that you have to do a uh, really tell this story and really tell it in depth? Yeah, you know, we actually were connected last year with a woman who runs an organization here in California, actually, um, called Woman to Woman. And she focuses on um, rehabilitation, reentry for ladies who had just been um, released from prison and supporting women who are currently in prison because she was an inmate herself. Her name's Amy Ichikawa. And we got connected with Amy last year um, and realized very quickly that there needed to be a lot more coverage about what's going on in women's prisons. Um, because what first happened in California is now starting to spread across the nation. And for background for the listeners, um, SB 132 mm-hmm. was some legislation passed in California several years ago that allowed male inmates to transfer into women's prisons if they claimed a non-male identity. So that means they could be fully intact men who are identifying as non-binary or transgender women. Yeah, and so they you said that they passed the law. Governor Newsom signed it. He actually, scary thought, but he, he could be our next president. Um, and he actually signed this legislation mandating this in California. What scared me when I saw this story, Andrea, is that there were Republicans who voted for this, voted yes on it in California. Right. And, 
You know, it was under the guise of inclusivity, and I don't think people understood what the implications were down the line. And I also think a lot of people just don't seem to care about inmates, about female inmates. It's a tough it's a tough story to take, right? Because you have people who are in prison for crimes. And so you want to support their rehabilitation, um, but they cannot be rehabilitated. I mean, if 92% of incarcerated women in California alone have been battered or beaten in some form of sexual abuse, and then you start to integrate males into the population, Um, which, by the way, 33.8% of them are registered sex offenders, you can't have these poor women rehabilitating and able to make it back into the free world mentally unscathed. Yeah, yeah, well, call me crazy, but um, uh, I'm not really that concerned about um, a rape, a convicted rapist feeling included in anything. You know, I, I, why do his feelings matter at all? But that, that's another issue. Uh, could you tell us about um, the, uh, the the woman featured in your first uh, installment? Because this is a series of, uh, of documentaries. Yeah, it took a lot of courage for Jennifer to come forward as the first in our series, um, but she will certainly not be the last. Um, Jennifer, she told me she's speaking out for all of the women that she left behind because mm-hmm. So many women really do fear the real fears, retaliation, physical abuse, legal troubles, if they do speak out about this policy even. Um, Some of the men who come into the women's prisons are very litigious in nature. This is something that Jennifer had shared um, in depth with me and some of our other um, speakers who will be coming later on in the series shared in depth the litigious nature of this as well. So Jennifer um, had been serving time in prison um, for about 11 years when California passed SB 132. Um, And once the men started coming into the prison, she actually had one transgender inmate. And none of the women were let know about this ahead of time. Um, She was uncomfortable with it. She shared a cell with one transgender identifying inmate, but he didn't cause her any issues. Now, eventually, this inmate was moved, and a new transgender inmate was moved into her cell. And this person has a reputation behind him. This is someone who is considered to have been, um, (laughs) he's a very violent male member of the Mexican mafia, Um, experts on the Mexican mafia believe him to be responsible for at least 13 murders. He's an alleged devil worshiper. And Jennifer, um, a Christian woman who's trying to rehabilitate her life, didn't want that type of activity around her. Um, So she and her cellmates spoke up, and the the officers at uh, CCWF, which is the facility they are housed at, um, told them, You know, if you're uncomfortable living with this guy, you can pack up and we'll find you a new space to to live in. So the women refused, and luckily there was one person who was working in the housing staff who were able to move this man, uh, who goes by Ava Reeves, to a different unit. Mm -hmm. But sadly, um, this is not the only case, um, and we we have several others we'll be exposing throughout the series. 
Yeah, um, it's just in, in in the course of doing this uh, work that you're doing on the documentary, um, I, I'm interested to hear how if you if you had uh, the ability to speak to some of these people who are involved, not just the politicians uh, who passed the stupid law in California, for example, but um, the people who are involved in running the prisons. Who's defending this as a good idea? And, and I, I guess better than that. What's the defense? What do they say when they when they say this? Don't worry about it. This is fine. Don't. This is we got to take care of this guy. I just. What is it? What could they possibly say? You know, I would imagine that if you were to ask a lot of the people who work at these facilities, that they understand there's discrimination taking place, but there is so much pressure to fit in and stick with the narrative um, that transgender rights are somehow more important than women's rights today. And we see this in more cases than just in women's prisons, but this is where it's getting into really dangerous territory. And you see, I mean, California leads the charge, sadly, for a lot of bad policies that then get adopted across the rest of the nation. Um, And I mean, you have also this hypervigilant cancel culture, it's already so difficult for everyday people to speak freely on these sort of issues. And then you have a state legislature that is abundantly progressive. If you step out of line, you risk losing your job. And some people just aren't willing to risk losing their job for it. Mm -hmm. Now we do have one participant in this series who is a former prison guard in California. um, And he actually quit his job because of some of these issues. And so we're really looking forward to sharing his story um, later on in the series. We're talking to Andrea Mew, and uh, where where can um, people find the the documentary, Andrea? Yes, we have our documentary, Cruel and Unusual Punishment, the Male Takeover of Female Prisons, on iws.org forward slash cruel and unusual. Okay. And you can also just go to the regular IWF website and find it on our homepage. Here's the other thing that just stuns me, okay? That this law, a law was passed to allow this insanity to happen. Women, female politicians voted yes to make this happen. How are How does that happen? How does a woman not have at least uh, should have a, a lot more sympathy for the and, and understanding of the stupidity of this than a man. Well, we do know that women on average, not as a whole, do tend to lean a little bit more progressive, more Democrat, more liberal, whatever you would call it in their political ideologies. But additionally, I don't think a lot of people truly understand what happens in prison. I don't think they have this you know, they're not seeing what the the pictures of these facilities look like. They're not seeing what men in the actual facilities look like. They're not looking through footage. Um, They see very clean renditions of prison life and and what it's like to be in jail through things like Orange is the New Black, um, Mm -hmm. that popular television series from several years ago. Um, And it's also just... And again, it's a topic that it's it's really tough to discuss because, again, we're talking about criminals and it's already so difficult for people to come to terms with 
the idea that someone can rehabilitate themselves and make themselves anew and atone for their crimes. So that's how I would see it. But you're, but you're also, you're talking about the, the transgender woman, the man, is a criminal, and you're rewarding him. If I'm a, if I'm a convicted rapist or someone who's a, a sexual predator, been convicted of sexual assault, uh, a, an all-female prison is a pretty good place for me to be, isn't it? And, oh, it's a very good place to be, especially because some of them can get certain medical treatments completely for free. For instance, some of these men identifying as transgender women can get um, breast augmentations on the state dollar. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, actual women who are, you know, potentially overweight or have very large breasts can't get breast reductions. They might be having back issues while in prison. Yep. They might be facing disability because of what that um, what their chest size has been doing to them. They can't get a breast reduction. But these trans identified men can get a breast augmentation. And the same thing goes for laser, hair removal, you name it. Well, you want, I want to make sure he looks pretty when he's in there. I wouldn't want him to be, you know, feel uncomfortable. Oh, boy. So what, what does you it know, mean? Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, I was just going to say on that, what's actually interesting, one thing that Jennifer did tell me in this um, documentary is that a lot of the men who go into the prisons, at first, they try to present as female, mm-hmm. but she told me that throughout their time there, they eventually start identifying again as men. They start presenting, sorry, as yep. men again, yep. you know, cutting their hair, wearing men's clothes and not wearing makeup anymore. And then they all have girlfriends. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and, and I would imagine there are some women in there who ha- who are, have been in there for a long time and are happy to see a man. That, that, I mean, it's all understandable. It's so insane. Um, but so what does a, uh, a man have to do to uh, qualify as transgender? Put on some lipstick and a, and a dress and and just go to the to the uh, the head of the prison that he's in and say, you know, I, I, I think I'm a woman. I think I need to go to that female prison over there. That's all I got to do? It's the power of words. You just ident- you self-identify. A man can self-identify as either a transgender woman or non-binary. As long as it's a non-male identity, they are allowed to transfer over to the women's prison. But what I'm saying is, uh, I, I don't, I'm not expecting you to know the, the details to this this level, but um, if if I'm a prisoner, do I just need to, do I have to, do I have to make myself look feminine, or can I just go up and say, you know what, I've decided I'm a woman? It's uh, what, What's the level of uh, disguise that you have to achieve? I don't know exactly the for each particular case, but the ones that I had spoken with Jennifer about, the yep. ones I've spoken with Amy about, most of them have been presenting as women at first, yeah. and then a lot of them end up presenting again as men later on. And then uh, and we're talking to uh, Andrea Mew of the Independent Women's Forum. The documentary is Cruel and Unusual Punishment, the Male Takeover of Female Prisons. So uh, there have been cases, haven't there, of, of these transgender women, these men, assaulting the real women in prison, correct? 
correct. And we've actually been speaking with some of the ladies who have experienced assault, and it will be coming later on in our series. But there have also been some incidences that have been documented throughout the news um, over the past couple of years. Um, Again, all of these are such unfortunate cases where the mainstream media will report them and only at the at the way end of this article saying, you know, that um, someone uh, assaulted a woman in prison, only then at the way end of the article will they say that it's a biological male. Oh. It's just so hypocritical. So what happens, uh, Andrea, if the rapist moves to a female prison and then rapes somebody, he is has to stay in prison. He's, he's now added to however many years he was going to spend in there. Where do they send the person after he's committed a rape, which is a pretty good indication that he's not a woman? Hypothetically speaking, because I don't know the exact um, details on any of these types of cases which have happened so far, yeah. but there is a jail within the jail that's called Ad Seg. Okay. Um, one of our uh, future speakers in the series um, who has to remain anonymous to maintain her parole status and out of fear for her own safety detailed a lot about Ad Seg for us because she herself was afraid, actually. Um, administrative segregation. She was afraid that if she spoke out against the male that was being housed with her, that he would get her sent to ADSEG. That's sick. Hey, um, I really appreciate you coming on, Andrea. Uh, I hope a lot of people get to see this. One more time, where can they find it? Yes, thank you so much for having me on, John. Again, this is um, Andrea Mew with Independent Women's Forum. If you'd like to watch the first in our documentary series, uh, this cruel and unusual punishment, iwf.org slash cruel and unusual, or you can just go to iwf.org and it's on our homepage right there. Well, thanks for coming on, and I hope a lot of people get to see it. And I would guess, just to throw this out there at the end, 99% of the people responsible for this insanity are Democrats. So you just keep that in mind <laughs> in an election year. <laughs> thanks and good luck, Thank Andrea. you so much, John. Okay. We'll be Thank right, you. We'll be right back. Well, just following up on our last segment there, I mentioned that you can bet that 99% of the people uh, involved in the insanity that we just talked about there with women being subjected to having uh, convicted rapists uh, move into the cells with them in the prisons because the, the rapist decides to identify as a woman. I came across this uh, this chart today. Uh, Democrats, this is, this is who votes for Democrats and Republicans. Married men, 39% Democrat, 59% Republicans. Married women, almost the same. 42% of married women vote for Democrats. 56% vote for Republicans. Unmarried men, 45% vote for Democrats. 52 for Republicans. But here's the good one. Unmarried women. Okay, this is liberal, single, I'm going to guess younger women because married women tend to be older. 68% Democrat. 31% Republican. That should tell you everything you need to know. And these are the people responsible for the insanity that you see out there. Uh, and they're the people, th- this is who is, um, ele- these are the people who are electing Democrats and putting them in position 
to pass laws like the stupid, insane law that we just spoke about, um, where a rapist can go to the warden at the prison and say, I'm a female, I just changed my name to Sally, and maybe he has a little bit of lipstick on, and he's a convicted rapist, and the guy says, okay, we'll send you, where do you want to go? I'd like to go over to the female prison there down the road, the all-women's, yeah, yeah, that would be good. Good. We want to make sure you're happy, and we want to make sure you don't feel excluded. We want to be inclusive here. This is the this is the insanity that's out there, and anybody who votes for a Democrat votes for that. That's what's happening. It doesn't happen if not for Democrats. Last thing here, I got just a few seconds. Andy Russell died today, 82 years old. I guess he actually died last night. Great guy. I didn't cover him because I think he was gone by the time I came to town to work. Great guy. All you need to know about him is that Chuck Knoll came here to the worst franchise in North American history, and he wanted to get rid of everybody, but he not only kept Andy Russell, he made him the captain of the best defense ever. So rest in peace, Andy Russell, and I'll talk to you on Monday.